if you won't work hard enough, then you don't care enough. On this view, we should label sloth a sin not merely because it makes us lazy, but because of the lack of love that lies beneath the laziness. All right. Last episode was great. Uh, this one, I kind of <laughs> I sent you that quote. Yes, great quote. To me, it's just a jumping off point of the laziness of love versus laziness of work is kind of what comes up for me. But yeah. I really just thought maybe it would set you off and I can just kind of listen to you go for it and I can interject and just <laughs> okay, kind of do what it did last time. What what yeah. kind of came up for you in that one? Uh, a couple things. Uh, one is uh, Jesus' parable on sheep and goats is really strong here uh, because uh, the, uh, the the punchline of that uh, little parable is that they showed up already, either sheep or goats. He just sorted them out. And it was their use of their time, their work, their money that turned them into sheep or goats uh, mm -hmm. in that parable. It's not because it, whether they walked the aisle or accepted him as their personal Lord and Savior. It was their work, their daily vocation, how they use their time, their money, their resources. Uh, that came up for me. And then uh, just uh, in the book itself, there's a great line by Wendell Berry. Uh, there is no secular and sacred. There's only sacred and desecrated. And Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. That's what I had to know. Wow. And then I tried to make the point in the book. Oh, <laughs> that uh, our work is to make sacred again the desecrated places, the desecrated institutions, the desecrated systems, those, pla those places where the world is crooked and twisted, like Ecclesiastes says. That's what our work is. That's our sacred work. So let's just unpack the the desecrated. What are the what are the the arenas, the areas? I know we're, we'll be repeating ourselves for many episodes to come, but it's just like <laughs> running around a track. It's the same thing. You just yeah. see things differently every time you take yeah. a lap. Yeah, you know. Well, the point is, look, the world, uh, the world, biblically from a from a Christian uh, viewpoint, the world is sacred because it's a gift from. He who is sacred from the maker, from the creator, from God, capital G. Uh, and it was it was made good and very good. Genesis 1. And, so, and then he makes several points throughout the Torah, like when he's promising the promised land. He, he basically says, uh, I own the land, but I'm giving it to you. See, this is the thing. The. All of creation, all the planet, all of the things that we get from the planet and that we create on the planet derive from a sacred gift, the planet itself. It's it's not like a big giant uh, mine that we can go dig out some ore and melt it down so we can enrich ourselves. Uh, it's a gift. It's a sacred gift. And then, as we I think we said last time, I don't remember, uh, Work was given before the fall. Work was given to till and keep the garden. And the garden stands for the whole planet in that story. Adam and Eve stand for all men and all women of all time. And the garden stands for all the planet that he gave us. And we were entrusted with it to work it. It's a sacred gift. So the separation that occurred in Genesis 2 and 3 uh, between them and their maker the lies they believe, the suspicions they gave uh, court to, and then the curses that befell them. Uh, all that separation is what desecrated the sacred gift. And the rest of the biblical story is about God uh, bringing us back, eventually at the very end of the Bible, back to a city that is sacred. At the center of it is a tree and a garden that is sacred. And he is re-sacralizing, he is sanctifying all of creation through us, through us. And so, uh, it's a mistake to think that, well, I'll do something secular, I'll do something, you know, I'll do it ethically. I'll do something secular until that time I volunteer or until I retire, then I'll do something spiritual. I, I can't tell you, I've had several businessmen come to me in their 50s early retirement on the horizon and they've been they've been believers followers of Christ they've done things ethically morally well 
uh, and now they announced to me because I was a pastor at that time. Well, now I'm ready to do something for Jesus <laughs> because I've got early retirement coming. And I understand it. I know where we get those ideas, but that's just so radically unbiblical. It's so radically unchristian in the way we're thinking. Mm. Uh, there's nothing secular on the planet. Uh, all that's evil, all that has been ruined has simply been desecrated, a sacred gift relationships, institutions, systems, actual geography, the the trash dump that we're turning the oceans into, what we've done to the land, uh, all of that together are human beings because we're separated from who we are, made in the mm. image of God. We don't believe that in our heart of hearts. And so we use the earth selfishly and we desecrate it. And so our calling is to go back to appreciating, back to gratitude, uh, back to understanding it is a gift and it is sacred. And our calling is to make sacred again what we have over the centuries, down through human history, desecrated. So there you go. You triggered me there. Uh, but that's that's what I think the sacred and desecrated. We need to eliminate the idea of secular from our vocabulary if we're going to be truly biblical. So does... De desecrate is the root is is it's to desacred. Yeah, yeah. We don't really have a great uh, word for it in English, but it's desacredizing. That's not a word. It's taking yeah. what was. It's taking. It's ruining. It's taking what was sacred, a gift, and just making it profane, ruining mm. it, uh, using it as if it's a nothing that we can trample under our feet. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's the idea. And there is, there never was from Genesis one forward. There is no secular. It just doesn't exist. Yeah. And it seems like it creates a lot of tension in culture when you have, um, you know, people believe in, in all these things that are sacred and there's like, how do you, where's the gray area or the, the, the messiness starts when like God's willing to be in the mess, right. To be with <laughs> us and to meet us where we are. And then you get people who encounter that and then they want to like hold up the sacredness of marriage, the sacredness in sexuality, yes. the sacredness yes. of government yes. that you can see if you look at them as a sacred thing, like how good that could be. But then where's right. the disconnect that people yep. are, it appears that people are taking a stand for like policing behavior yeah, or, versus oh. like inviting something, uh, yeah. you know, deeper. What do you, oh. where does, how does that work? Well, uh, one of my trite little sayings left over from pastor days was because people would run up to me after a sermon and ask me what to do. And I'd be talking about work or I'd be talking about marriage just or parenting like you're talking about right now. And of course, someone inevitably would come up and ask me for tips and tools. Okay. You didn't tell us what to do. Well, and I wasn't trying to be smart, at least not all the time. <laughs> I was, I, what I was saying, I believe it. I still believe it is that when you understand, let me put it a different way. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And I deeply yes. believe that, that in a marriage, when we, this is take some, I was preaching, of course, at that time to Christians, when Christians understand that they are new creatures in Christ, when they understand they're accepted, that they're loved, that they, that they have something profound from their maker that their mate can't give them, then they'll know what to do in their marriage when they have a deep identity in Christ, to use the biblical language. More broadly, I think what's happened to us is as human beings, our history has been, and this is true in the scriptures and it's been true since, we have forgotten who we are, that we are made in the very image of God, that we've been entrusted with a gift, that we are stewards of a precious, sacred gift. If we understood who we are, kings and queens, according to Genesis 1 and 2, stewards of the high king, entrusted with a sacred gift that he called very good. Since we have forgotten that, we have and then we have desecrated mm. what he gave us. And that's why we need tips and tricks, because it's not coming from the source. It's not coming it, from the source. It's, it's not the coming outside from our in. soul. It's outside in. And the, the first order of business is to rediscover who we are and make mm. decisions about what we're going to do from the inside out.
to your point. Exactly. <laughs> what? What? What are you grinning about? <laughs> it's just so great. Uh, yeah, I, I had the realization the other day that I didn't realize that I was operating under the assumption that um, if I could kind of just load myself up with enough goodness or virtue <laughs> that I would, maybe that's yeah. like the progression, but I realized that maybe mm. it's a lot more about like unloading and oh. letting go of the things that yeah. are actually covering who I really am underneath. So I'm not trying to go be Taylor. Like yep. I'm who I am is deep, deep, deep within me. And it's actually about like uncovering all the crap yes. off of it for that to yes. shine through. Yes. yes. Which is yes. why I, why I sometimes feel like you, people call it like intuition. Maybe, maybe some are all is the Holy spirit, mm. but this idea of like a knowing that comes deep from within me would speak to like in is the way to go. Like in is the way through. It's not, yes. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to obtain and possess, yes. which is an interesting idea of like, I've been processing around like what possession, what does it even mean to possess? What do I own? Like yes. if I can lose something, <laughs> did I ever really own it? Like I had, I lost my car uh, mm -hmm. about a month ago. The, the Audi that I love so much, oh, it's gone. No. Oh, yeah. shame. It's gone. It's <laughs> oh, gone. No. And uh, it really got me thinking, like, did I ever really own it? Like, yes. what is that? And I'm not being clever. Like, no, 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 no. Right. Did I ever really own that car? I had a Way piece of paper. Question. Yeah. The paper said I owned it. Uh, and then I started, I was looking at my boots as I was contemplating this. I'm like, do I own these boots? Mm. And then it, it's like the way I say like mine and my, like my wife, <laughs> my job, my life, my house, and like a deep, profound, like a real weightiness of contemplating that I don't own anything. Like lit, none of the, if I can't take it with me, which is like nothing. And the only thing I can take with me is somewhere deep yes. within the shape, the chiseled character from the block. Yes. Like yes. that's the thing that matters, you know, and I was, that's I've been studying good. vices. It's been so mm. cool. Seven deadly sins, which yes. I thought was like a Catholic thing when I grew up because I grew up, <laughs> right, I guess, right. Protestant. Right. But now they've come on this whole new thing of like, it's not like good, bad, right, wrong. Like these vices are these things that like greed is about like trying to possess and to own and to, you know, to, to just collect and, possess but there's it's this that's not really true there's no possessing any of it and it, there was these pr practices these uh, spiritual formation practices where they're talking about like not taking more than you need and it was transcending logic and math so it wasn't saying well if i have uh two donuts and I only needed one, then the one donut was meant for the hungry child. Like, well, literally yes. a hungry child wouldn't eat that donut, but spiritually it's yes. very true. Like yes. don't take, and somehow that makes sense to me that, <laughs> that it is, it, it's more real than the math. It's that chiseled thing beneath me that realizes like, I don't need more than I need. And what I need is very small. And I think we touched on this last time with like me reading desert fathers and understanding, like yes. uh, I used to look at them as like, well, I'm not a saint that is, I'm not a monk that lives in the desert. Right. And now I'm learning that they were saying the same thing. They're like, well, neither am I, I'm not a saint either. That's why I'm doing this. Like, this is very painful. This is, I'm not perfect either, you know? Anyway, yes. so no, that's then, why I was laughing. All of that was in that one laugh. <laughs> wow. Wow, man, your brain works so fast. Well, look, <laughs> this is way important what you're hitting on. Let's just, let's just dwell here a minute, then we can talk whatever yeah. you didn't want yeah. to talk about. But no, this is it. Uh, well, I think it's R Father Richard Rohr that makes the point. It's not, it's not his idea. He's just been reading his Bible, which is great for he said. He says, as a Catholic, he never really read his Bible much, but <laughs> last part of his life, he read it a lot. Uh, yeah. And he's saying, "Look, sin, sin is not all the, doing all these naughty things, right? At the core of sin is separation. Mm. Uh, what happened in the garden was uh, we got suspicious of our good Creator, 
And all of a sudden we began to connect some dots we weren't meant to connect. We're naked. We need to hide. And so we did. We separated ourselves. And everything naughty, everything, use a stronger word, evil, flows from that separation. Uh, and these uh, these seven deadly sins are not, not so much sins in terms of naughty behavior. They're manifestations of our separateness. We have desecrated ourselves. We separated ourselves in that archetypal story of for all humanity from Genesis 1 and 2. We separated ourselves in our pride, in our suspicion, in our desire to be our own God. Uh, and in the separation, then it manifests itself. And you mentioned greed. Greed is not uh, wanting to have less instead of wanting to have more. The antidote to greed is not wanting to have our own, not wanting to own anything. To understand that it, you just said it, that it's all a gift. Mm. Your shoes, your car, that Audi that you lost, all of that <laughs> is a gift. The air we breathe, the food we eat, the bodies we have, all gift. The same, uh, in the, in the idea around work, which we've been talking about, uh, you know, you sent me something on sloth. I think, yeah. I think that that's dead on. Again, it's kind of like sacred and secular. Uh, you know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to bust my ass and then I'm going to retire early. And it's pina coladas in the beach, baby. Uh, that is such a radically unhealthy, unhuman, unsacred idea. For those who are Christians, it's a radically unbiblical, unchristlike idea. Put even a finer point on it. Hmm. Work is why we're on the planet. Uh, put it oh. another way. Yeah, it's why we're here. And it and, that word and, is so and, like doesn't work. That word, I know, work is such it's so. Oh, oh, it's been desecrated. America has ruined this word. We've we've ruined it. And, it, and it's not America industriousness. Has, it's not industriousness. But, no, no, it's it's an act of love. We touched on this last time. Work is how you love God, and uh, it's how you love your neighbor. You don't work. So you can write a check to a nonprofit who can love your neighbor in your on your behalf. That's fine. Uh, work is how we are re-sanctifying this ruined world. It's how you're making uh, a container for your neighbor to flourish. You're changing the world through your work. If you're doing what I would call good work. And so the idea of laziness, of retirement, of sloth, it's not because God's the great hall monitor and he hates seeing people sitting around enjoying themselves. You know, he's just he's just a bitter old man who can't stand to see us at the beach, you know, enjoying, <laughs> yeah, you know, having fun. It's knocking back a couple of cervezas and chilling. Yeah. And it, it just gripes his butt that we're doing that. Back no, to work. Back to work. That's not it. <laughs> The the problem is we think that work, and this is true, not just in the United States. I've been in about 30 countries. And in a lot of countries in the world, work is considered a curse. And actually getting fat, especially for men, actually getting fat is a sign of wealth because it means you're not working anymore. And if, you, if you're carrying around a, a, a tummy and so a layers of fat, you're, it means that you've gotten prosperous. And you don't have to do that cursed work anymore. That's in lots of countries, uh, whether communist or still uh, back in a primitive kind of a, a basic uh, farming mode, trying to put food on the table, or in advanced capitalist countries, we have a desecrated idea of work. The biblical idea, and that uh, thing you talked to me about, sloth, is that it's, it's an act of love. It is how we express the agape love of God. Yeah, and I think I'm going to read this passage because it's actually too good not to. I wasn't going to, but I just totally changed my Go mind. Go for it. Yeah, fine. And it's from this book called Glittering Vices by Rebecca <laughs> Nondike DeYoung. I don't know how to – I'm sorry. I just butchered her name. That's but, all right. Uh, Glittering uh, Vices. All right. Glittering Vices. It's so good. Um, what is hard work and dedication at its best after all, but an expression of love and devotion? The telltale root of our word diligence is the Latin diligere, which means to love. 
Sloth on this view expresses pernicious apathy, comfortable indifference to duty and neglect of others' needs. If Mm. you won't work hard enough, then you don't care enough. Mm. On this view, we should label sloth a sin not merely because it makes us lazy, but because of the lack of love that lies beneath the laziness. Oh, my man. I wish I'd written that. That's great. (laughs) That is that is spot on. Pernicious <sighs> apathy. Hmm. Uh, someone said, a uh, Jewish writer, I think it was Hes. I'm going to butcher his name too. Hes, excuse me, Heskel. Heskel. Uh, but anyway, he said that the opposite of love is not hate. The uh, opposite of love is callousness. Hmm. What she called pernicious apathy. I just don't care. You know, I'm hmm. heading to the beach. They can, they, they can just all lump it. Uh, yeah, here's the, okay. So he also triggered this too. <clears throat> there's a, there's a little book out there whose title is simply work. It's a small little pamphlet, almost a book. Uh, and it, it was, it's a hard pronounced name that I'm going to butcher something like Van der Voss or something like that. I, I can never find it if we actually have to, but what, what I liked about this little book that at one point he begins to talk about Jesus parable at the very end of the gospel of Matthew about the sorting out of the sheep and goats. If you remember that parable, you don't want to be a goat. The sheep get rewarded. <laughs> the goat gets sent into nailing, uh, gnashing of teeth and outer darkness or whatever. But a couple of observations. Uh, there's a great judge in the story that Jesus is telling, and he is like a big shepherd, capital S shepherd, and he's sorting out this great mass of animals coming at him. Sheep, the sheep to the right, the goats to the left. You want to be a sheep. Uh, one thing to notice is that they show up already sheep or goats. This is crucial. The idea is they've lived their life and their work, their life, their vocation, the way they have used their life, their time, their energy, their money, their days, their work their families, their marriages, all of that has turned them into either a sheep or a goat. He doesn't zap them and pronounce, okay, zap, you're a sheep, zap, you're not because it's not because you didn't walk the aisle uh, in the Baptist church where I grew up. It's not because you didn't pray the sinner's prayer. Well, then why is it? How is it that they became sheep and goats through their work, through their vocation, through their, uh, what they had been gifted? Well, Jesus says very plainly, you didn't use it to love your neighbor. In fact, he puts an even finer point on it. He says, you didn't use it to love me in your neighbor. You didn't clothe the naked. You didn't feed the hungry. You didn't heal the sick. You didn't visit those in prison. In fact, you didn't clothe me, feed me, visit me. In and through your vocation, your work, your daily life. And your work and your life turned you into a sheep or a goat. Now, again, this is back to the sloth idea. Work is sacred and work is crucial. It's not something to endure until we can head to the beach. It forms us. Our work works on us. Our work, one writer says, David White, I believe, your work is a pilgrimage of identity. There's Ooh. a there's a phrase we're thinking about. Your work is a pilgrimage of identity. And it's not so it's not so important what you do. It's who you become while you're doing it. Mm. Now we're back to sheep and goats. Now we're talking about a pilgrimage. Now we're talking about work is sacred because it's forming that inner place that you were talking about earlier, that sculpture that you will take with you to the other side. All the things you can't take with you except the self you have become in and through your vocare, your vocation, your work. Work Mm. is a pilgrimage of identity And what's important is not as much what you do. It's not unimportant. But what is so important is who you become while you're doing it. Work is sacred. It's how we love our neighbor. It's how we return the love of God who's gifted us 
with all these graces. Yeah, that's the season. I'm definitely coming out of a mindset. I don't even call it a season. This mindset, I realized very distinctly that I'm trying to, I'm trying to build an empire so I can Mm -hmm. buy a castle and pull up the drawbridge. (laughs) And it's this scarcity security mentality. And I guess it's just kind of starting to finally click. Like, what's the point? For, say, <sighs> what's that drawbridge going to save me some? Yes. Say, what is the drawbridge going to save me from? Yes. Like, what it, like, surely this life is more than about surviving. And I've ebbed and flowed my whole life into different, you know, being in the flow, out of the flow, being surrendered, sure. not surrendered. Sure. Yep. But I guess I didn't realize, I mean, you know, having kids and a wife has a way of making you get a little more security oriented. You're constantly protecting. Yes. And I kind of, I didn't, I wasn't that way when, before I was married and had kids, I wasn't like, I was like, right. Right. "Eh, Whatever, you know? And so it's that interesting. This is what life is for. And just realizing, you know, if it comes down to the realization that, I mean, I don't do I even own my boots? Yes. Let alone yes. a house, a castle. What am I trying to protect myself from? And yep. now it's this idea of I don't need an empire. Hmm. I don't need a name. I don't need a legacy. I'm part of a legacy. Right. I am part of talk about knowing who you are and you'll know what to do. Yeah. If it's meant for me, I'll have it. If it's not, I won't. And now I mm-hmm. think of houses and, you know, building a dream home one day and there's no more plans for the drawbridge. And it's kind of like, well, whatever the house <laughs> is going to be, yes. it needs to be something that is helpful and a blessing to others. Yes. And it's otherwise, it's just this other thing I own and possess. And like, what's the yeah. point? Yes, 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 yes. Well, and it's not, it's yeah. not piety and it's not, mm. I just mm. like, being selfish doesn't work. It's no, never well, enough. Never enough. Uh, the answer is always more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and responsibility. I'm thinking about what you said about marriage and kids. Mm. And this is what the Apostle Paul was driving at, wherever that was. Uh, you know, is it 1 Corinthians 7, uh, where he was telling those uh, early ch- Christians, you know, you may as well stay single because if you, if you get married, you're going to have to pay attention to the cares and anxieties of this world. And he didn't say marriage is evil. He just said, he was just saying, you might, you might want to think about it a little bit. Uh, because once you are married, then that is your vocari. Uh, my, <clears throat> my wife used to ask her mom, gosh, what if I marry the wrong guy and it's not God's will? And, uh, you know, cause that was a big thing when we were teenagers way back in the dark ages. You got to figure out God's <laughs> will and marry the right person. And her, her mom always just said, darling, once you marry him, it is God's will. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly right. Uh, if you think about it, it's actually pretty profound. But the point being, mm-hmm. meeting our responsibilities is part of a vocation. We talked about last time. It's not just a bunch of shift that's, shit that's interfering with your vocation. It is your vocation. And so the, the same now, but now the question becomes what you just asked. Uh, I need a house for my wife and children. That's part of sure. my responsibility. God given part of my vocari. Yes, it is. Now, what's the purpose of that house? Well, to take care of my wife and children. Yes. What else? Well, that's when I go all the way back to Genesis. I'll go all the way back to the story of Israel. That house is given to bless your neighbors. First off, to bless yeah. you, it's an outpost of human flourishing or futurity, an old word I'm trying to resurrect, the future of humanity. That house is meant to be uh, a source of blessing. You know, that was, uh, just to get biblical for just a second, that was, okay, so you had the whole Garden of Eden thing. Then you have the whole Exodus thing. They're slaves. God's going to rescue them. He's, he promises them a land, a place of a milk and flowing with milk and honey, which is an ancient way of saying it's a really good place. It's where you want to be. Uh, but if you read, first off, they had to journey there and the journey, the pilgrimage, uh, they, there were setbacks, three steps forward, two steps back. Uh, 
But when they finally got there, the whole purpose of this land that was given to them was to, if you read the text and read the prophets and listen to the whole story, was to be a blessing to their neighbors who they hated. Mm. Uh, They were supposed to be a blessing to the Assyrians, to the Babylonians, later to the Greeks, then to the Romans. Uh, All the Gentiles were going to see what was going on in this promised land and stream to Zion and worship the one true God. That was the purpose. Yes, it was to feed them. Yes, it was to give them a refuge from being slaves. Yes, it was to be a blessing to their children, to the men, to the women, to the children. Yes, and an outpost of blessing to all the world. And then later when they lost it, the exile, uh, it's because they weren't taking care of one another. The widow, the orphan, the poor wasn't because they did naughty things in the bedroom. It's because they weren't taking care of each other and the poor and they were not being a light to the Gentiles. So God said, well, I guess I'll have to do it. And so then we get Emmanuel, God with us. But always the story of God's people is, yes, I'll make provision for you. Uh, Yes, uh, I would like to bless you. My heart is to bless you. And I'd like to bless you for the sake of others as well. So that's what your that's what your house is about. So much paradox there. Oh my. Well, we yeah, we got it upside down. Who was the old speaker, Tony Campolo, who said who gave a whole talk on who switched the price tags? He mm-hmm. basically says, Someone ran around in our world and in our brains, and all the stuff that ought to be cheap we made expensive, and all the stuff that really should be priceless we made cheap. Mm. Somebody switched all of our price tags. <laughs> like that <laughs> is he still around you know that's a good question i don't know I, I, he'll right. be he'll be even older than me if he is but i don't know awesome well, this was good man any other we, thoughts let's see i'm looking over here Mm-mm-mm. we might be uh, like an inception here i think we're in like one dream below the dream below have you seen the movie Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I don't know that which conversation my... we're in, but we've had Man, like three conversations some... yeah, spawned. We it's, got into it's kind the of mind building. That's right. No, yeah. Because here's what happens. Uh, I had I had a friend whose wife asked asked him to fix the uh, plumbing. They call it a p trap under the sink in the kitchen. It was dripping. Yeah. So we got under there to fix that, which is it's like a ten dollar piece in a thirty minute job. Okay. But then he noticed the drip had rotted. The, the wood. Mm-hmm. So he started poking at the wood and dang it, the whole cabinet, this is a true story. The whole cabinet was rotted. And we'll wow. Pull out the cabinet and the wall had been rotted. And before he had done, he had renovated the entire kitchen. <laughs> it's, it's the old idea of pulling a thread on a sweater. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you start asking the kinds of questions that you're asking, that we're asking, when we start diving into some, something like work, see, It's going to do two things. One, it's going to go archetypal. And by that, I mean, we're now talking about something that matters to every human being all across the globe and down through time and in the future. It's archetypal. It's about the human condition. Work is crucial to the human condition. And then second thing it does, it takes us down to the core. If you begin to, to fix our ideas of work, if you begin to fix the kitchen sink on work, and you keep asking the questions and the levels, the layers, to your point, uh, you eventually get down to the core of what it means to be human. You eventually get down to the core of what it uh, it means to be made in the image of God. What in the world does that mean? And these are core. So you take something like sloth, you take something like work, you take something that's almost become trite. Yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. We've all, you know, blah, blah. You you begin to ask why, and you begin to fix the sink, or you pull on the thread of the sweater, and pretty soon you're asking, uh, what would you call that? Sacred, universal, divine questions, if we're really made in the image of God. See, we have, yeah. oh, well, here's a whole other thing. See, we at, Christians have forgotten this. We think this is Eastern religion. We think this is, I don't know, Hinduism or some kind of pagan pantheism. Uh, if we are made by God and made in the image of God and entrusted with a gift that he made for us, we are, in fact, at our deepest core, divine. 
And the whole process of the Bible, according to like First Peter and some of the early Christians, is to reconnect and to restore our forgotten divinity. Getting back to something that is already true and not inventing something for the future. It's the uncovering so, I was talking about. Uncovering. Someone has said that everything we do that's important is remembering. We don't create, we don't create new stuff. We do. But the things that are core, that are crucial are about remembering. Now, Christians, we all get nervous when we talk, start talking about being divine. We think we're talking about pantheism. Or actually, I think we're just being biblical. There is only one God, capital G, according to the scriptures. And he has made us a little lower than the angels. But he has put his breath in us. He has made us in his image. And, for, and Peter was bold to say that uh, we are being divinized. First Peter chapter one. We're being what? Divinized, divinized. deified. Uh, that is, that's an interesting chapter, by the way, in terms of doing it. He says early in the chapter, he says, look, you've been everything you need for life and godliness. Recovering that divinity, small g, godliness, everything that you need. For life and godliness has been granted to you, given to you, graced to you. It's a sacred gift. Then a few verses later, he says, therefore, make every effort to add to your faith, character, love. He lists a whole bunch of virtues. So everything you've got, everything you need has been given to you. Therefore, make every effort. And my understanding of that is we no longer have to, uh, we don't make an effort for love to prove, to gain, we make an effort of love. <laughs> once once we've understood, see, there's work to do, but it's not work to get God's approval. It's not work to make up for our lousiness, our crumminess, all that stuff we screwed up. Everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us. And it's the kind of a picture of a king giving his subjects, his right-hand people, a gift, a grace, authority, power, treasure. Therefore, out of gratitude and love, make every effort. Go to work. That's love, so cool. Love God and love your neighbor. Go to work. But it's not That's an effort for love. It's an effort of love. Not an effort for, it's effort of. Yeah. Yeah. As an artist in creating, ah. I've always known deep inside me, that the good stuff comes from creating out of my identity yes. and not for it. Yes. When you know so who you like, are, you'll know what to do. Yeah. If you, <laughs> that's the name of this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's like if I'm making something mm. for the recognition, it's garbage. See, I'm sitting but here if, talking like I'm an expert on this stuff. Hey, yeah. I, yeah. I, I've been working on this for a long time. <laughs> Your whole <And> life. <laughs> I'm, I'm only pontificating about it now as if I'm an expert because it just took me forever to get over earning of outside yeah. in of uh, trying to be who others thought I should be. It's just taken a long, long time, my friend. Long time. Mm. Well, I love it. I appreciate you. I appreciate this. <laughs> I, I don't want... I want to be available and I also, I just don't want regrets, you know? And it's like, I yes. see the path that I'm on and someone once said, it's easy to be a great man, but there's a lot of great men in the world, but there's not a lot of mm. good men. And when you take Boy, the price good. tags and put them back where they're supposed to be, it's like, yes. why am I so worried that I'm not where I thought I should be? I'm, I'm yes. right where I need to be. Yes. There is no achieving. There is no yes. arriving. Yes. Like it's such a cluster, man. It's so confusing. Oh. And it's like a it's a lucid dream state of like in and out of you know, some yes. days I wake up dialed in yes. and I'm just like, I am rich. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then the next day I roll out of the same bed with the same situation. I'm just like, I don't have enough. And there's no shame in that. It's just the reality of, yep. like you said, remembering and look at the traditions, remembering, remembering yes. and operating out of who I am and not out of <laughs> who I wish I was. See, I wow. think it's a, it's a, 
It was a Jesuit priest who was also a scientist, a geologist, uh, Teilhard de Chardin. He talked about detachment in this way. He said, look, we, we must be detached from success. We must be detached from social prestige, others' opinions. Are we successful? Are we making it? Are we climbing the mountain? Are we at the peak? Are we the king of the hill? He said, but we, it's a bit of a paradox or a polarity, which we could talk about sometime polarities, but it's the idea that I must be detached from my success, but I must be deeply attached to whether our side wins. And here's what he meant by our side. The concern for the human project, the concern for human development, the concern for moving back to reconnection with our maker, with the sacred, with our God, with life as it was meant to be, with shalom, as the ancient Hebrews would say. If we're concerned for the overall human development, we should be, of all people, we Christians should be optimists. We often are not. He Hmm. said we should be optimists about the human project. And we should be detached from our personal success and deeply attached to God's ongoing development of the human project. And I think that's right. That's why some days you're in the zone and you get it. You're, you, you gain some detachment from portfolio and how big is the house. But you should mm. never uh, hit that pernicious apathy that leads to sloth. We should never indulge in a callousness about the future of our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and those that we love. So some detachment from my personal projects and a deep attachment to my work and how it advances human futurity. Yeah, detachment uh, from my projects and a focus on the human project. I love the human, well, that play on words. Well, if you capitalize it like preachers are, tend to do, the enterprise. I've never heard of, that. Is that right? Yeah, I've never See? heard that. Human project. Yep, that's a well, thing. Out of thought you thing. made that up, Drew. <laughs> it's a thing. Well, I, in, other, in other places, I call it the uh, the enterprise of the ultimate entrepreneur. Capital U, capital E. That's the enterprise awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> of the ultimate entrepreneur. That's he cool. made us for a reason, and we ruined it. We desecrated it. We we wanted to be God ourselves. And and yet, and yet, he never gave up. That's the whole biblical record. Continuing to call us back to who we are, continuing to remind us of who we are, and to call us to something higher, uh, deeper maturity. Nowadays, we might say higher consciousness. The biblical writers seem to talk more about a maturity and a, de- and a depth. Uh, but yeah, the human project, he, he cares. And he's right in the smack in the middle of it with us. That's why we finally get to Emmanuel, God with us. That's what mm. the word means. He's just, as John 1 says, he just pitched his tent right smack in the middle of our slum with the open sewers and all the mistreatment. He just pitched his tent right there with us. Yeah, and what you're saying, full circle, idea of end of life, guys pre-retirement are saying, I want to do something sacred yeah. now. I'll do something sacred now. Yeah. Yeah. I just realized yeah. that came back. Like that's the, that's yep. the trap for me. Of yes. What's the thing am I contributing to? Well, if I just had enough money and I had enough investments, <laughs> I could then do, look at all the sacred things that I could do then. And, you know, what am I doing now? What what, what am I doing right now? And maybe right now it's like 10% of my time is whatever giving looks like. And 90% of my time is like earning, right? There, I don't understand how the ratio works, but <laughs> it's, it's also like, there's always action today. There's always, yes. you know, you might not be able to like flip a switch today and be like, oh, I'm dropping all of these messed up price tags and I'm going to yep. only folk. Maybe you yep. can. I don't know. Maybe that's the, mm-hmm. the key. <laughs> but I, I haven't seen that. Like I, I'm trying to I call uh, it's like I want to I don't want any slack in the line. Yep. So like I need it tight. Uh, I found that that's the way. 
yeah. is to keep the the slack tight to it's yep. the serenity prayer it's the ah. there's things i can control and there's things i can't control yes. it's important to keep that slack tight cuz the ends <laughs> of that pendulum <laughs> is dangerous yes 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 I, for me but i also i it seems for everybody to either be fully grasping for control or just completely careless and not you know not caring where the dice yes. the, where it lands it's the yes. tension and the tension for me is how do I maintain the responsibilities and the earning responsibilities for the yes. family? And yes. at the same time, I've noticed there's this, there's some work, there are work opportunities. I don't want to say the word work. There are, this is good. I need a new vocabulary. Hmm. There are opportunities in the marketplace that seem to present to me look like things that I can exploit for cash <laughs> yes. to do the things I want to do. That feels yes. icky. Yep. That feels gross. Yes. <laughs> and at the same time, there's, I've really struggled with this idea uh, that you can, I can just show up and be fully me in any situation. Like loving mm. someone might be mm. like being loving in the marketplace might have nothing to do with the words and the work and the outcome of the work other than the people I'm working with. Um, but I guess I'm trying to land the plane at, you know, one of the tensions, <laughs> the slack that I'm trying to keep in the, in the line is there's projects that I'm working on that, are good projects and there's a Goliath in there to be slain, but I, uh, I'm really starting to see and feel that these aren't my Goliaths. Huh? Uh, and it's that <laughs> difference between just because I can, doesn't mean I should. And yes, it's yes. not about entitlement. I don't feel like I deserve better things mm -hmm. or it's, it's just looking at some of the things that I'm working on and recognizing that it just feels transactional and yep. it just feels like, getting a paycheck in a way that isn't what we talked about. Oh, it's good to earn a paycheck. Yeah, it is. But I don't think, yeah, I guess I'm processing my shit real time. Sure. Sure. <laughs> I don't know real if this time. is helpful. Maybe real this time. isn't helpful. Maybe this isn't helpful for people. Maybe it's not helpful for me, but that's, that's the last, the, not the, there's this bit of letting go for me. That's like, yes. there's, there's this, calling vocari this work that's not about entitlement and i deserve something special it's just sometimes you know what's not for you and you don't necessarily yes. know what's for you i don't know what i'm oh, oh i so agree good wrestle. And, and, well it's a wrestle that's why it's called it's a, that's why we were talking about earlier a pilgrimage of identity mm. it's a journey unless you learn to say no to most opportunities you will miss your vocari your vocation your calling now, not no to all opportunities, but it becomes a pilgrimage of discernment, of understanding yourself and who you were made to be, so you'll know what you were made to do. Uh, all, but that's a pilgrimage, and it's often three steps forward, two steps back, and then you just straight up screw up sometimes. You get a little greedy. You get there a little panicky. Get you do something greedy. out of fear instead of out of faith. So you say yes to a lucrative opportunity, that actually burns nine months of your vocari because you probably should have said no to it. Uh, but that's, you know, that's, we don't need to be, get beat up about that. That's just normal. That's why it's a pilgrimage. That's why that's the helpful. Bible does speak about maturity. We have to grow into these things, but there is another layer we should, we should, uh, uh go into sometime. Uh, uh, a guy named Fred Swanaker, uh, I'm not sure what country, but the continent of Africa, he writes about moments of obligation and he uses obligation to mean that hit you get when, Oh, I could do something about that. I ought to do that. Uh, so not just lucrative. He's going a little cut deeper. Something hits That's your pings on your soul. And he goes on to say, you should actually say no to 90% of those. Huh? In order to pursue your calling. So maybe we could yak about that sometime. Because yeah. I think I, th I found it profoundly saying no to lucrative opportunities, kind of a high level. There's kind of this mid level of when your soul gets pinged with somebody ought to do something about that. Or man, there's an opportunity that would help other people. He says, yes, that's true. It's not then immediately true that you should do it. And he gives, he has some questions to ask. It's a nice little riff on saying no to most lucrative opportunities, saying even no to most moments of obligation to pursue your vocari. 
Yeah, lucrative too. Also safe, right? Something's oh still safer. There's also that piece of it too. Yep, yep. But, so, but yeah, I like your you I like a, your out loud processing. It's good. Yeah, yeah. The no to ninety percent. So I I'm not the first person that's dealing with this. Is what you're telling me? <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, you're unique, and then you're not unique. Turns out you're human. Yeah, I'm unique and special, just like everybody else. <laughs> just like everybody else. Uh, it's uh, the human. It's the human condition to uh, be distracted. To be. Oh my gosh, the, the, we can't go down this road right now. But this okay. is, a, you know, there's a there's the there's a whole Jesus temptation in the wilderness, as we call it in church world, is all about this negative power that's in this world that wants nothing more than to uh, distract you from your vocare. That's a great. The, we should talk about seven- that thing sometime. Yeah, the seven the the pulls pulls us away it's from all the connection. The, and that's in that the, story. The, the devil was three times was trying not to get Jesus to do something naughty, like you know, go commit sexual sin of some sort. Uh, he was he was luring him away from his calling. Jesus by that time knew why he was on the planet, and here's quote unquote the devil luring him away. And distracting him. What what was wrong with making some bread and eating? What was what was wrong with letting everybody know who he really is? Which is the second temptation. What well, what's wrong with actually getting power so you can change this world? That was the third temptation. Uh, all three of those temptations were not to something naughty. It was to something basically good. But he should. But he should and did said no to them. He said no to them. Well. That's a great place to end. And I'm definitely coming back next week. <laughs> Man, do I want to keep going. And this is not a marketing ploy. I'm like, we're out of time. And I feel like we just landed to, okay. oh, that's good. So, yeah, we'll pick it up next time at the being distracted away from the calling and yep. uh, saying no to the 90% of yep. Okay. The lucrative, and then what was the one cut below that you said? The the even those moments of obligation that ping mm. our soul need to say no to most of those too. I I this was super helpful to me, and I think it's going to be helpful to a lot of other people and okay. and Good. that are sitting well, yeah. in my seat. Good. Yeah, thanks, man. You bet. Anytime. Hey, thanks for joining us today on the Your Sacred Work podcast. I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, if so, uh, do us a favor and uh, give us a review wherever you get your podcast from. That certainly would help us and encourage us. I also want to point us to our website, yoursacred.work, where there are other resources, including an e-course where I really unpack these concepts uh, in depth, and you can access it there. Uh, and there may be other resources as time goes on as we build, build that out, but uh, please do check that out. And thank you so much for joining me today. Much love. This podcast is produced by Buck and Change. Just want to say thanks to Andrea for all your help on the production and my first light people and my Saturday morning guys. See you next week.